are live from the Capitol, not our studio, but the antenna is live in the Capitol of the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C., and on the radio, 105.5 FM, AM 1390, bringing you the truth, an oasis of free speech and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the Biden's new world order. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Well, Rod, we made it to a Friday. How are you doing today? Doing well, Lee. Can't complain. How about yourself? Well, I'm fine. The world is somewhat chaotic as usual. We have an assassination attempt on Salman Rushdie, and that seems like kind of... There's a couple stories that make me forget what age I'm in. It feels like I'm not... Imagine in 2022 talking about Salman Rushdie at all, right? The only thing we should be saying about Salman Rushdie is he's passing away of natural causes because he's in his 70s. But it's, I don't want to say it's its poor taste because he might get shot to say that his name is a blast from the past, but it is. Have you thought about Salman Rushdie? much Rod no not at all well someone's obviously been thinking about him and we we talk a lot about Iraq and we try to correct things that are erroneous about Iraq and that I feel are people should not be repeating because they're repeating lies that America spreads about Iraq and Iran and, but Iran, it should be pointed out, did issue a fatwa for Salman Rushdie many years ago. Remember that? Yeah, no, I, I, I know that clearly. And I'm not in favor of that. Sorry, Iran. But they have never taken that away. And when you, funny, when you leave a fatwa, calling for someone to be assassinated, someone might try to do it. So therefore, I'm going to say this is Iran's fault. Does it make sense, Rod? Am I being mean, blaming Iran for this? I think not. But what do you think? Uh, no. That's a legitimate claim. So, the latest word is that Rushdie, Salman Rushdie is alive, but he was stabbed this morning about 10.30. He was about to do a speaking engagement in western New York, and a guy got on stage, and he appeared to be punching him, but it was the kind of punch that blood shoots out of your stomach. So, it was apparently he was being stabbed. So, he was he's in civil condition there's not much about his condition, but that's a big headline happening today. And also, well, the other headlines we'll talk about during the show, because our first guest in the first hour is the great Caleb Maupin. And we'll be talking about the Russian-Ukrainian nuclear allegations being tossed back and forth. And we'll get to the truth of it. Just offhand, Rod, 
If you had to guess who's telling the truth on something, if you know nothing else than who's saying it, it's Russia versus Ukraine. If you don't know anything else, who's telling the truth? Go ahead, Rod. I got to go with Russia, Lee, because they're trying to caution everyone like, hey, this is a step too far to, to try to target a nuclear power plant. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, side with Russia on this. And we'll talk to Caleb about this. But generally speaking, if there's two choices and one of them is promoted by Ukraine and one by Russia, the true one is the one promoted by Russia. Broadly speaking, whatever the subject is, I'm going to go with that rule of thumb. Now, in the second hour, we have the former co-host of this very show, Rod, John Kiriakou, former CIA officer and person who's had a share of run-ins with the FBI. Is that fair to say about John? He's tussled with the FBI. They've arrested him. And yeah. Peter, Peter Schrock, the famous Peter Schrock, was the one who uh, arrested him. Yeah, and he wasn't literally tussling him. He didn't, he didn't wrestle anyone to the ground from the FBI. But he doesn't like them. I think that's fair to say. John Kiriakou does not like the FBI. Is that true, Rod? Yeah, that's a fact. So I was thinking about how to go out during the week because we've had a lot of great shows. And I called John Kiriakou last night and I said, John, do you want to come on the show and spend a half hour trashing the FBI? And he said, sure. You know, but John Kiriakou is going to do you all a service and provide some needed balance. And he sent me an article by his friend, the constitutional attorney, Bruce Fine, libertarian attorney and student and teacher of the Constitution. And did you read that Bruce Fine article that John sent along, Rod? Yeah, I did, Lee. And uh, I'm wondering why uh, Trump didn't take action uh, to do what, what uh, Bruce Fine laid out in there. The article was critical of Donald Trump. Bruce Fine was critical of Donald Trump for not taking action legally that he should have, for just complaining about. And by the way, this, on the face of it, sounds like a valid criticism of Donald Trump. I've seen Trump do that before. He likes complaining. He likes running his, his gums. He likes talking about stuff, but doing something. And Bruce Fine points out that Donald Trump and John used to say this on the show when he was a co-host. Donald Trump, during the election, he complained about election fraud and complained about ballots, but he didn't take appropriate legal action. And when he did, he went into court and consistently he lost. So when you take consistent court action on legal issues involving the vote, and you lose, you set up your supporters for being behind you, and you're not able to bring a credible case. And so I think in this case, Donald Trump overstated and overwind about what happened to him. And again, I'm opposed to the FBI, but I'm also opposed to just whining about it and, and not and, and being inaccurate about it. So Bruce Fine, we'll talk about it with John Kiriakou, a very balanced episode 
and a very balanced end to the week as we criticize Donald Trump over the raid on Donald Trump. That's coming up this hour. No, forgive me, next hour with John Kiriakou. And we're going to be taking your calls the whole show. 202-521-1320. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. No, I thought it was very good that John said in an article by his friend Bruce Fine that criticizes Trump because, now again, you know, my position is I think the problem with what the FBI did, it was unnecessary. I don't think they had to do that. And I think while they were to some extent within their rights, see, my objection has not been they did something they're not allowed to do. I think they got Judge Judicial Warrant. It seems to be for something valid. My my objection has been, and I think I said this clearly yesterday, but if I didn't, let me try it again. Because saying clearly things is not my strong suit right now. I'm opposed to what I consider the unnecessary harshness. It was the same thing. I didn't have a problem with the FBI, well, I did, with them arresting Roger Stone, for instance. I don't think, I actually don't think he should have been arrested. I th- I personally think Roger Stone did nothing wrong. So I have a full objection to it. But I think if they were going to arrest Roger Stone, they did not need to go in with a full force of armed men and enter his home with a long gun, etc. I think they could have called him and that would have been a more, they, they could have worked with him and they didn't need to escalate the situation by using force. And I'd say in this situation, Mar-a-Lago, I'm seeing something similar. And what uh, my objection to it is, is it normalizes people to FBI raids. People shouldn't be normalized to that. And so my objection is not that Trump didn't do anything illegal. I don't have an opinion on that. I think it's possible, although comparatively, to what Joe Biden did illegal, I think it's, I think it's charges in search of a crime. They found something that Trump had done illegal, but I didn't think it was that big a deal. So, but do you understand, Rod, where my objection is that they escalated the situation with Trump? And that's my, my objection. That was the whole point of it. They want to make a spectacle out of this. They want to anger people. They want to anger his supporters. They want to create, uh, you know, uh, even more distrust in the FBI. Uh, you know, we had this uh, in, uh, incident that happened in Cincinnati, and uh, reports are that the man came with, a, I believe it said, a shotgun, and he was killed outside of Cincinnati headquarters. And I'm pretty sure uh, reports, you know, I'm, this is all an allegation of this part, or um, but I'm pretty sure they're going to allege that this was a Trump supporter that was upset about the raid. That, that, that's just my uh, my thought on it. And they said on the news today, they're researching a connection with the Proud Boys. And uh, have you heard anything about a formal connection with the Proud Boys? 
No, I haven't, Lee. But of course, they'll they'll pull anything. And I mean, if you just searched uh, a Google term one time in the last four years, this uh, this guy in Cincinnati, then boom, he's guilty. Now you pointed out what the FBI's goal was in doing this raid, but let's ask ourselves because don't forget, information about this raid was largely it all at first came from Donald Trump himself, right? So they did not say we raided Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump came out Monday night and said Mar-a-Lago has been raided. So what was Donald Trump's goal in this? What was he up to? I'm just saying, just be flat and objective, Rod. What was Donald Trump's goal in reporting this raid? And it, it wasn't merely justice. He had a number of goals, including if I say that one of Donald Trump's goals was fundraising, I've seen proof of that because I've gotten mails from Trump saying, please send me a donation. Mar-a-Lago was raided. Have you gotten those emails from Trump, Rod? Uh, no, he must have missed. He must have misspelled my email. But no, I, I agree with you. Lee. He has the same. He, he has the same objective to uh, fire up his base and fire up any supporters who might be on the fence. I mean, he's been teasing that he wants to run for president, and you know who likes to tease Lee uh, for anything. You know what I mean? Let me tease. If you're hungry, let me tease you with a juicy steak. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Yeah. So it's it's he's he's also uh, got some fault in this as well. And. We've we've talked to a few people who said that Jim Hoff from Gateway Pundit, Carmine Sabia, when he came on Wednesday, uh, people who said they were on the fence about Donald Trump. They were considering him, of course, but they were also looking at DeSantis and a few other people. They're now saying they're solidly behind Trump. So I would say Trump, one of his goals was to get people solidly in his camp for president. And if that was one of his goals, it succeeded. Would you agree with that, Rod? Yeah, I would agree with that, Lee. Um, I, w- I would definitely agree with that. You know, just just uh, uh, a few things on this FBI raid. I mean, just the, 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 the fact that they didn't let the lawyers be there uh, or the fact that they searched uh, for nine hours uh, through all of Mar-a-Lago looking for all these documents. And now, supposedly, there's this nuclear documents that you know they were looking for, and I mean, how many nuclear documents does uh, probably uh, the former Secretary of State probably had on her server? And also, nuclear document. What does that mean? Because I pointed out, I had a friend who's in the Navy who's a nuke, and he pointed out when he learned nuclear stuff in the Navy, everything was classified, including the boiling point of water, the temperature at which water boils, was classified. Because everything was classified. Does that make sense, Rod? So, as far as I know, Donald Trump is not a nuclear scientist. Is that true, Rod? Am I accurate there? Yeah, I think a thousand percent on that. Thousand percent. So, what is? Do you know actually what a nuclear document is? If it's not a document that's been irradiated, what is a nuclear document, Rod? I have no idea, Lee. They're just throwing out these terms to, you know, I mean, you see everybody on all these leftists on the media and social media, like, you know, they're, uh, you know, breaking news. You know, the nuclear documents is what the FBI was looking for. So it just makes people like, <gasps> you know, it just gives them that kind of gasp. Yeah, like Todd, like Trump was sitting around the Oval Office and he's like, what's the pile of boxes over there? Is that how to make a nuclear weapon? 
a brief primer. Hand me a document. Bring that home. I want to bring it to Florida. You know, it's absurd. But I don't, I don't take a side. I just want the truth, right? And I'd say by say, saying nuclear weapons, they make it seem especially scary. Especially, and we'll point out with, with Caleb, but, but let's get into it now briefly. Have you heard the accusations back and forth between Russia and Ukraine over missiles launched at a nuclear power plant in Ukraine? Have you seen the accusations by Russia and Ukraine? On one side, you have Western media saying Russians created a dangerous situation because now missiles are being launched at a nuclear power plant. They don't mention that the people lobbing the missiles are Ukrainians. It's Ukrainian lobbing the missiles, right? That's factually what's happening. But they want to make it seem... In fact, at the UN today, the US rep- representative for the UN made it clear, even though it's Ukraine lobbing the missiles because Russia invaded, they say it's 100% Russia's fault. So they're not even accusing Russia of lobbing missiles at the nuclear plant. And Russia is now saying, let's back off, let's calm down. You know, Ukraine should not be lobbing missiles at a nuclear power plant. But the media is so dishonest about it. And it it kind of is a genuinely dangerous situation when someone is lobbing missiles at a nuclear power plant. So the press, the Western media, is essentially giving Ukraine a pass. Is that essentially what you understand the situation to be, Rod? Yeah, Liam, we have we have that clip that you sent me earlier, so we could play it. Um, of talking about that, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I I titled the show a couple of days ago. Um, you know, pretty much that uh, the West is flirting with uh, creating a nuclear disaster in Ukraine and blame it on Russia. No, yes, and 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 I'm I'm saying that for narrative purposes, at a time when people are thinking about nukes, and this is in the a friend of mine pointed out. The first Washington Post story on the situation in Ukraine was on August 1st. So this stuff has been in the news cycle for over a week. And while it's on people's minds, let's throw the word nuclear into the Trump thing. Again, I think it's good for people to get criticism of Trump that's valid criticism. And I think it's objectively true that Trump has things, he has things he wants to get out of the situation. Fundraising, bolstering his position as president, even though he hasn't announced what is running yet. But but this clearly strengthens Trump's position as a candidate. And that's his goal, right? So I think it's valid that we talk about it. And it's one of the things I'm proudest of on the backstory is we actually give you both sides of situations and let you figure it out for yourself. Because some of these situations are hard enough on their own. They're technical or they involve names and places that Americans don't know about. You know, we're talking about in Ukraine and Russia, 
we're talking about all these villages. Had you ever heard of the Kursan region before a few months ago, Rod? Be honest. And and I'm the same way. I had no idea. Now people know Nikolaev, all these Mariupol, all these cities in Ukraine, often with obscure and hard to pronounce names. And now we know about them and what's going on in the cities. And so a lot of Americans, it's tough enough. You're having to learn about new places. But then when one side, Ukraine, lies all the time and not the kind of lies everyone should suspect all war reporting is under, you know, the, the countries reporting about this situation. Every country in a war has motivation to lie about that war. Every country. Do you think that's fair to say, Rod, that every country has a motivation to lie about how they're doing in a war? Every, every single country. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because if they're not doing well, they don't want to report that because they don't want their troops to lose morale. But if they're doing well, they don't want to advertise like where they're doing well. They don't want to let the enemy know what they're up to. But in this situation, I would say Ukraine has gone above and beyond the call of duty in lying. Do you agree with me, Rod? No, I definitely agree with you. Leave, I mean, false accusations of rape, um, uh, um, uh, prisoner of war, prisoner of war, mistreatment, everything that they're doing, they're blaming on Russia, and you know, just despicable. And we talked about the, um, I forget the guy's name from yesterday who calls the dead soldiers mothers and FaceTimes them and shows them their sons and tells them their sons dead. You know, yeah. just despicable acts like that. And that's real. But you pointed out, I'll go your rape, rape accusation one better. Remember, Ukraine had been reporting that Russians had raped children. And the woman who made that accusation was forced by Ukraine to resign because it was not true. So if you wonder why I did not hear from a Russian propaganda outlet that Ukraine was lying about the rape of children. But Ukraine fired a woman. You saw that, Rod. Ukrainian representative was lying and admitted to lying about the rape of children by Russians. You've seen that, right, right, right Rod? Yeah, she was the ombudsman, right? Uh, so yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and I mean that's just crazy to, to, especially for a woman to come out and say, you know, it's not good for anyone to make false rape accusations, but for a woman to come out and say that a country soldiers raping children in another country and it'll be a total lie is just you know just just wild so if that had just been russia saying it that a, a an ombudsman from ukraine had lied about some something if it's just russia saying it okay you don't know whether to believe it or not but when ukraine admits it themselves and that's something very damning to admit i'm i take their word for it Right. I, I think when Ukraine's admitting some things like they're admitting that the HIMAR missiles are not having the effect before these missiles came into the battlefield, Ukraine was waiting for these wonder weapons they said was going to 
turn around what appeared to be Russian advances. Russia is winning. The, the fa fact is, in Ukraine, Russia has had a successful military action against Ukraine and it's now taken out about 20% of the country is now Russia controlled. And Ukraine is having to keep this fight going. And eventually, the number one person, do you know who the Ukrainians lie to the most? Who do you think the number one victim of Ukraine lies about this war is, Rod? Uh, to its own citizens, I would say. Exactly. It was a trick question, but I can't trick you, Rod. You're exactly right. They're attempting to fool the citizens of Ukraine because if the citizens of Ukraine knew, and I mean, if the majority of them knew that the West's goal is to provoke Russia to the last Ukrainian, they don't care how many Ukrainians die. And this comes back to the FBI situation because we were talking about the FBI's motivations. I would say the FBI has one other motivation we did not talk about, Rod. One of their goals, and this is going to sound contradictory at first, why would they want that? But I think the FBI wants to provoke Donald Trump supporters into doing something violent against the FBI. Now, that hasn't happened yet, thank God. But I'll say it again. I think the FBI wants to provoke Donald Trump supporters into doing something violent against the FBI. In the same way, Rod, that I think the U.S. Department of Justice and the FBI and the Secret Service want to provoke what happened on January 6th. I think they want to provoke Trump supporters into doing something like happened, but they would have liked to have seen worse. They would have liked it if maybe, because they imply it in the news all the time. The only person killed on January 6th in the Capitol building was a Trump supporter, Ashley Babbitt. But I, do you think that they wanted to provoke something and they wouldn't have minded, in fact, and this is horrible to say, but if a Secret Service agent had been killed by a Trump supporter, do you think Democrats today would actually be happy about that, Rod? Oh, no, for sure, Lee. If you remember when this, uh, even before the uh, committee started, January 6th committee started, we had the three Capitol Police officers. One of them was a black officer named Harry Dunn, who said that all these uh, Trump supporters were calling him the N-word repeatedly, this, that, th this, that, and the third, and all of these racial slurs, but there's no video evidence of it. They talk about all this violence that happened. And then you, when you see videos of people orderly walking through in a line through the Capitol, I mean, obviously there was some type of violence and, and disturbances, but nothing to what, like you're saying, they wanted to see people slit um, neck, their neck, their throat slit or something like that. You know what I mean? Some type of really violent with guns and knives and uh, cars plowing into people, something crazy like that. But it wasn't anything like that. Well, Trump was making a new nuclear weapon, didn't you hear? So it could have got very bad because Trump was having Melania split the atom in a back room. And she apparently is playing the atom using panties from Victoria's Secret because they were looking for that on the raid. Did you hear they were going through 
Melania's wardrobe in the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Did you hear that, Rod? Yeah, I did hear that, Lee. And they were, I heard they'd spent a good amount of time in her, in, in her wardrobe, which, I mean, I guess that's where they were hiding the nukes, right? And I'll say, in the interest of fairness, who can blame them? Now, let's take a short break, and when we come back, the great Caleb Maupin, who's got a lot of exciting projects he's been doing, is on shock to us about that and about this nuclear situation with Russia and Ukraine. RT correspondent and organizer Caleb Maupin will be with us right after this break on The Backstory. story. And as we mentioned already, we are on 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in the Empire of Lies, capital, Washington, D.C. Joining us now, the great organizer and RT correspondent, Caleb Mompin. Hey, Caleb, how are you doing today? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm great. Now, Caleb, you've got a lot of exciting projects. So before we talk about the stuff in the headlines, Tell people, you just did a big event in Chicago. Is that right? What did you do in Chicago? Oh, it was great. Uh, the Center for Political Innovation, which is the think tank that I, I am directing, and we had a great gathering. Um, and we featured uh, Tara Reid, uh, the woman who has refused to back down from her allegations about Joe Biden, has said that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her, has talked about the atmosphere in that office that a number of other women uh, you know, came forward about, but she's been the most outspoken. She was there. We gave her an award. Uh, the Uhuru Movement, uh, the black revolutionary group that was raided by the FBI uh, just, a, just a week or so before they raided uh, Mar-a-Lago, uh, they were there as well, um, and we honored them. Uh, in addition to that, Garland Nixon uh, from, from Sputnik Radio, he was there, and he attended. Um, you know, Nick Brana of the People's Party, uh, Chris Halali of the Party of Communists, uh, you know, a leader of the Alex Saab Freedom Committee. Uh, it was a great great gathering. I'll just tell you that. It was a powerful rally, and uh, it was so powerful that uh, Newsweek <laughs> decided to do a story announcing that it had happened. So I guess they thought it was interesting, too. Really? Congratulations. That's that's a great press hit. Now, tell people about your think tank. You, you mentioned the think tank, but I think this is very interesting. So tell people about the think tank that you direct. Sure. Well, it's the Center for Political Innovation. And the idea is to, uh, you know, kind of develop a kind of socialist thinking that is unique to the United States. And, you know, in China, they call their system socialism with Chinese characteristics. And I've always said the only type of socialism we could ever have here in this country would be some kind of socialism with American characteristics. And that's basically the idea of this think tank. We're anti-imperialist. We're anti-war. Uh, we're for working families of this country. We want a government that will, will fight for working families against the big corporations. Uh, but we want to do it in a uniquely American way. We want to be serious about politics. These people screaming out in the streets, the Antifa and all that, they're not serious, right? Uh, they tend to hate average Americans more than they hate the ruling elite. Um, and that's not the tradition of Eugene Debs. That's not the tradition of, of the steelworker Gus Hall and William Z. Foster. That's not the tradition of the Black Panthers. You know, uh, and, and the left has really kind of gone off the rails and is lining up with the deep state in so many ways. 
we don't we don't favor that. You know, Jimmy Dore has been very friendly to us. Uh, you know, other other folks, uh, Jackson Hinkle, and and you know, we're looking to talk about socialism in a way that is actually with the people uh, and opposing these wars. And you have you you finished your event in Chicago, and again, congratulations on pulling it off because it was a big event. But that's not your last event. You have something else coming up. Is that now? Is the thing about Assange through this through your think tank? Two. What do you what do you what do you mean? I mean, I mean, we are involved. Many of our mem- members are supporting Assange around the country. I thought you were having another event in in support of Assange in August. Did I hear something about that? Or uh, there must be some confusion there. But I do know we will be supporting actions around the country supporting Assange. We uh, we chanted free Assange many times at our rallies. And in fact, at our event we had in Chicago, we had a a big poster uh, that everyone signed uh, that will be mailed to Assange as soon as we can figure out what address to, to mail it to him. Everyone was there and signed a nice a nice greeting card from the Center for Political Innovation to Assange. August 27th, uh, we're going to be having a National Day of Action to raise awareness about, you know, the need for peace on the Korean Peninsula. Okay, that's that's it. Forgive me. Forgive me. Caleb, you do so much stuff that an old man like me gets easily confused. But that's exactly what I was thinking of, the Day of Action about Korea. So talk, and I know you do a lot of work about Assange, so forgive me, my mistake. Talk about that day of action about Korea, because I think that's very interesting and a subject a lot of Americans don't think about. Well, sure. Well, you know, Korea is starting to heat up again. We all heard about Taiwan and Nancy Pelosi and all of that. But Korea, the Korean Peninsula is now starting to intensify, um, you know. And so at this point, the sentiments in South Korea are overwhelmingly in favor. They like what Donald Trump did. The fact that Donald Trump went to North Korea, the first American president ever to actually go to North Korea as president. Uh, the fact that um, on top of that, that, um, that uh, you know, that, that Donald Trump started the possibility of negotiations, but then it was pretty clear he was being sabotaged uh, by John Bolton and others. And, and at this point, people in South Korea, they want peace. And they've made that pretty abundantly clear. People in North Korea, North Korea has wanted peaceful reunification with the South for a long time. And so on August 27th, around the country, we're going to have some small informational leafletings, uh, some, you know, some some signs and stuff. And we're going to try to, you know, put on record that there are also Americans who feel that way, that uh, that, that we should be bringing uh, the Korean Peninsula together uh, and talking about a way we could demilitarize, get those American GIs home, uh, you know, get the, get them out of there and get the Korean people back to being one country. You know, obviously, the, the folks in North Korea are going to want to maintain their, their centrally planned socialist economy. The folks in the South are going to want to maintain their market economy. But why can't, you know, the families reunify? Why can't the, the, the division, that big division, uh, the 38th parallel, you know, why can't that be removed? You know, I think that that sentiment is pretty widespread. The military-industrial complex, however, just seems committed to keeping things going there. Um, a weird coincidence, I don't know if you know about Park Chung-hee, who was the military dictator of South Korea. Uh, he mysteriously got assassinated, uh, you'll recall, because he was going to get his own nukes for South Korea, and then the U.S. troops would have no reason to be there because South Korea would have their own nukes. And uh, and he mysteriously got assassinated by somebody in the, in the South Korean uh, security forces. So, you know, I mean, you can look at that. There's a lot of money to be made for the military-industrial complex. Uh, when it comes to maintaining divisions on the Korean Peninsula, that's not what the Korean people want. You know, they may not agree with with each other about what kind of government to have or what what you know what which what went on in the 1950s, but but they want peace. And I think most Americans would like that too. I don't see any reason for us to continue having a military presence on the Korean Peninsula. I'd like to see peaceful reunification of the of the Korean Peninsula. Technically, there is a reason for us to be there because I found this out last night 
watching your great YouTube channel, the Caleb Moppin YouTube, YouTube channel. I found this out last night. We never ended the Korean conflict, correct? We never signed the treaty. Am I being accurate there? Why don't you tell that story, Caleb? Because I didn't know that. And I think a lot of people don't know that we're still in the conflict with Korea, correct? Yeah, well, there was an armistice signed at the end of the Korean War, but the war never officially ended. The treaty, there was supposed to be a, a meeting to then sign a treaty that would officially end it. Uh, that meeting never took place. Uh, so technically, the Korean War is still going on uh, up to this day. Uh, there are no diplomatic relations between the USA and the government in, in North Korea, uh, and there, there's no diplomatic relations. So we are still technically at war. And when Donald Trump, you know, when he met with, with Kim Jong-un, that was a really big deal. It was a really big step forward. And many people were very, very hopeful. And that joint Olympic team, you'll remember, a few years back at the Olympics, how they, they had a joint Olympic team, North and South Korea together, and how, how in that auditorium people just, just applauded for it in big numbers. You know, there's, there's hope for peace on the Korean Peninsula. And probably one of the main barriers isn't coming from South Korea. It's coming from Washington, D.C. and the, the military-industrial complex. And, uh, I, I was excited when Trump was starting to get things moving. And I think North Korea will eventually give up their nuclear weapons. I, I think they don't want to have them. They just want to make sure that they're in a situation where they don't end up as the next Iraq. You know, Iraq didn't have weapons of mass destruction, and they got invaded. And Libya didn't have weapons of mass destruction, and they got overthrown. And North Korea, after the overthrow of, of the Libyan government, uh, they came out with a statement, and they said, well, we were right to get nukes all along, right? Uh, you know, Bush sent a message, if you don't have Weapons of mass destruction, you will get invaded. Well, North Korea has nuclear weapons, but I think they'd like to give them up. Um, but in order for them to give them up, they're not just going to give it up, you know, with nothing. It's a negotiation process that needs to continue. And uh, Tulsi Gabbard's been very outspoken about that. She's said a lot of really good things about that. And I, I'm really hoping that uh, we, can, uh, we can move toward peace on the Korean Peninsula. Now, so, Caleb, and again, people can find more. It's August 27th, right? And if people want to find out more about that event, remind them again where they can do that. Oh, sure. Our website is cpiusa.org, cpiusa.org. It's the Center for Political Innovation. We've got members all across the country. Um, at this point, we're up to about 220 members uh, of our organization at a national level. Uh, but we're growing. You know, new memberships come in every day. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we will continue to expand. Um, and uh, you know, we're we're just a network of people who want to promote socialism and want to promote uh, American patriotism and also want to promote uh, anti-imperialism and opposing wars and uh, a wide variety of perspectives. And you know, we don't push any any uh, social agenda. You know, I'm for gay marriage. I am for abortion. But there are people in the group who don't feel that way. Uh, you know, there's disagreements in our work about what the laws should be around prostitution and sex work. Uh, there's disagreements in our group about the transgender issue. We allow that. You know, too much of the left has really gotten caught up in waging this culture war. And meanwhile, America's working families are being left behind and the wars are continuing. So we are trying to go a different direction. You know, we do, yes, have a Marxist class struggle outlook when it comes to things. But but when we see, you know, this wokeness and, and the way the left is going and all of that, I mean, you know, we're more interested in, in, in fighting for America's working families than uh, getting fired up about defending drag queen story hour, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I do know what you're saying. And I think really, I'm going to urge again, people type in Caleb Moppin in YouTube and check out his YouTube channel. There's a lot of really inf good information there. And Caleb does 
How many days a week? You, it seems like three days a week you're doing these chats at night on YouTube. Is it three days a week? Well, I do it as much as I can. You know, it just depends on how busy I am. You know, I was busy last week with this conference in Chicago that occupied my time. But now I'm back, you know, I'm, I'm doing my work for, for RT, my reporting, and then I'm able to go to the gym some, and so I, I'm back to streaming. So I try to do it as much as I can. I, I used to do it once a week, but then when the pandemic hit, I didn't have much else to do. It locked down, you know, working from home, and so I thought, all right, and I just started streaming every night, and then my channel really exploded. And I got into some debates. I started debating people on the left and the right, you know, trying to, to debate folks about, you know, what, you know, where politics should go, and and yeah, and I, my YouTube presence is something I do. I, they'll probably ban me eventually. Uh, they haven't gotten to it yet, but if not, I'll be on, I'm on Rockfin as well. And I, I do stuff on Rumble and I do stuff on other outlets and I'm going to keep going if they ban me. I haven't gotten any warnings or anything like that yet, but we shall see. I'm just going to keep going. You know, that's what we have to do. All of us that know the truth about, about their lying system and the, the war machine and, and we just got to keep we got to keep going. Right. And just make it clear. We're not going to be intimidated. Uh, we're not going to surrender. We're not going to be canceled. Um, we just got to stand firm and do it. And I think we're going to be validated. Look, I mean, I'm, I, I know you've covered it other times on your show, but I mean, it, it's outrageous how many things that were like you weren't allowed to say them. Remember, at the beginning of the pandemic. And now they're being said by like the CDC and Jeffrey Sachs and the World Health Organization are saying the very things that that people like you and I said at the beginning of the pandemic and, and, and got, got in trouble for. I mean, it, it's just just outrageous. We, we continue to be more proven, correct and validated every day. No, and, and l- let me point out something, since you mentioned debates, let me point out uh, a seedling of an idea I had when you were talking. Uh, you said something last night on your chat on YouTube about, you were talking about populism, and you made the statement that all populist, populism requires socialism. So I, I'm, I'm sure I'm saying it slightly, but... What did you say last night, Caleb? So what is populism, right? Populism, as I've always understood it, is like a political movement advocating on behalf of the people against an elite. And that's like, that's what socialism has always been. It's about, you know, the struggle of the working people against the, the small group of people who own the banks and the factories and industries. I mean, socialism is inherently populistic, right? And that if you're going to be advocating for making a better life for the people at the expense of the elite, that's going to lead you to do socialistic things like provide health care and jobs. And, you know, I think about the great populists of American history, Huey Long, for example. You know, this, this Huey Long, well, you know, and they called him the Karl Marx of the hillbillies, I think was one of his nicknames. Karl Marx of the hillbillies, uh, you know, they had cartoons of him with, with hammers and sickles and such. And he always said, well, I'm not a communist, but I'm going to save America from communism. If, I, if you don't let me go in here and share the wealth, that's what he called for, share the wealth. You don't let me go and do that. Uh, you know, America's going to have some kind of violent communist revolution. So I'm here to save the country from communism. That was his response. Um, but, uh, you know, Huey Long was a great friend of African-Americans, uh, you know, really promoted African-Americans, uh, you know, and in Louisiana, it was a Jim Crow state at the time. And actually Huey Newton, uh, the founder of the Black Panthers is named after Huey Long. His family lived in Louisiana, um, and they named uh, they they named their son after Huey Long. And that that Huey Newton's father would always talk about how it was because of Huey Long that black women were able to become nurses in the state of Louisiana. That was because of Huey Long, and he remembers Huey Long's radio speeches where he talked about the need to have black nurses and how uh, and how that happened. And that's in the autobiography of Huey Newton, Revolutionary Suicide. So. 
you know, the populist movement, populism, shouldn't be a dirty word uh, among, among people who believe in socialism. And on top of that, if you are a populist, if you're against the deep state and you're against the elite, you ought to be looking into socialism. And yeah, obviously it's going to be different kind of socialism than, than you know, some of the stuff we're seeing out there now. It's not going to be MSNBC socialism, but, but socialism is populism when it gets down to it. Now, I think it would be very illuminating for the audience if we had you on for debate, perhaps with one of our guest co-hosts, maybe Mark Frost, to have, because I think civil debate, if, when it's not just bickering or yelling at each other, obviously people, people can learn a lot from a civil disagreement. And I would like to disagree with you over the fact that elitism needs to be socialist. I think it often is. But I would like to have you on to discuss that. And Caleb, would you be open to coming on for debate about populism on the show sometime? Absolutely. I would love to do that. Yeah, we'd love to have you because we'd love to have you on the show. Now, let's talk about some of the issues that did. And you brought nuclear stuff. So before we do this, I want to play a clip from the network RT. I don't know if you've heard of it. There's an enterprising young reporter over there who did a great piece on the situation with Ukraine and Russia and the nuclear plant that's getting missiles lobbed at it. So let's hit that clip, shall we? Hit it. Acts from the Ukrainian army continue. A nuclear catastrophe could happen at any moment. Then huge territories in Ukraine, Russia, and Europe will be under the threat of radioactive contamination. The real scale of a nuclear disaster at the plant is impossible to even imagine. In this case, the entire responsibility for this will fall on the Western sponsors of Kiev. Well, at the 15-member body that leads the United Nations, the U.N. Security Council, in their chamber in Manhattan, we heard from the representative of Russia, who raised the alarm about the dangers posed by these attacks on this nuclear power facility. Uh, he emphasized the deals that Russia has offered to secure this power plant, to secure that we don't have some kind of nuclear disaster. Uh, now, when the representative of the United States took to the floor, uh, basically uh, the U.S. representative said that any potential fallout or danger from the attacks on the nuclear power plant, uh, they fall squarely on Russia's shoulders uh, simply because Russia is involved in this special operation. Here's the response of the United States to what seems like a very clear danger. The cause of the situation at the Zephyrisha facility is not a mystery. It is another tragic result of the Russian Federation's decision to further invade its sovereign neighbor, Ukraine. Russia alone created risks, and it can eliminate those risks now by withdrawing from Ukraine. Now, the Russian representative talked about how this fits a pattern. It talked about how the Ukrainian forces will embed themselves into civilian areas using civilians in effect as human shields. And this is essentially nuclear blackmail. It's an attempt to force the Russian military out of a certain area uh, or else uh, there could be some kind of disaster, which would then be blamed on Russia, even though it is Ukrainian forces that persist on escalating things near this power plant. Now, uh, it's important to note, despite the fact that Russia is raising the alarm 
environment has been raising the alarm about the dangers posed by attacks on this facility and has been trying to get the International Atomic Energy Agency involved in dealing with these threats for months. And today at the U.N. Security Council meeting, uh, we heard the head of the IAEA. Uh, he basically said that there is at this point no immediate threat. The experts have preliminary, have preliminary assessed that there is no immediate threat to nuclear safety. However, this could change at any moment. Russia and other countries like China called for a de-escalation of the situation and concerns about global safety. But from the United States and its allies, uh, we heard a mantra of blaming everything on Russia, saying that there wasn't such a danger, but if there was, the fallout would simply be Russia's fault. It seemed that the United States and its allies were not concerned about the potential fallout and seemed to be using the danger of nuclear disaster as a measure or a wedge with which to try and pressure Russia to withdraw from certain areas. Now, Caleb Muppin, do you have anything you'd like to add to your own great report on RT? Well, not too much. One thing I do recall is you remember at the beginning of this conflict, there were issues related to a power plant, and it was all over American media. Oh, my God, Russia's going to attack a power plant. They're going to set off a dirty bomb. They're going to kill all these people. And Russia came forward and they said, yeah, we, you know, we, we were trying to protect this place. There's not been any fighting at this power plant. And they, they had a whole U.N. meeting about it. And now Russia's coming forward and saying, OK, this power plant that we're under the control of, uh, it's got a lot of you know, plutonium at it and stuff. Uh, the Ukrainians are shelling it and they're attacking it. And the U.S. mainstream media is looking the other way. I mean, it's just kind of the massive, the double standard here. Russia is saying, you know, we'd like to offer a deal. Let's just make sure we don't have anyone attacking the power plant. And I, I watched the U.N. Security Council meeting, and I was just in shock. The only response to the USA is, oh, if anything happens at the power plant, it's Russia's fault because uh, Russia, you know, Russia is doing this special operation in Ukraine, so it's their fault. And it's like, it's like we can't have a rational conversation here about keeping a power plant safe. And when there was, when there was concern and the shoe was on the other foot, Russia stepped up the plate, and they said, yeah, we're doing everything we can. And they were working with the International Atomic Energy Agency and such, and I mean, the double standards are, are quite massive. I think it should be a point of agreement that we don't want there to be a new Chernobyl uh, because of this conflict in Ukraine. We don't want there to be an escalation uh, and something that could, you know, turn into a nuclear disaster at this power plant. And, you know, the USA is piling all these weapons into, into Kiev and, and giving all these weapons to the Ukrainian, you know, government. And, you know, I mean, I, I mean you've seen the same reports I have. It looks like looks like not very many of these weapons even end up in the hands of the Ukrainian military. A lot of them are just going to criminal organizations. People are, you know, they've got, they've got weapons for sale on the Internet. Um, a lot of the money that's being piled into Ukraine is just kind of disappearing. And it's looking like, you know, years from now, we're going to find out this war in Ukraine was a big, massive money, money laundering operation of some degree or other. I've been telling people, do not donate to Ukraine. You know, if you want to help the Ukrainians, call on the U.S. government to negotiate peace to end the killing. But, you know, I mean, all this money, you know, Ukraine's got a Patreon, Ukraine's, you know, all this money is just piling into Ukraine right now. And it doesn't seem to be going to help the people. And a lot of these weapons that are piling in don't even end up in the hands of Ukrainian soldiers. What's going on here? Well, you've, you've reported what's going on. And I should point out that that report about the weapons, 30 percent of weapons not getting where they should, that was not on RT or some Russian funded media. That was on CBS, right? That's the report you're talking about, right, Caleb? That CBS did and then took down. It had been up for a couple of days. They took it down. Uh, 
and they, they, you know, I mean, it just shows you uh, how blatant these things are. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, we've we've had members of Congress, Rand Paul and Elizabeth Warren, have come forward and said they're concerned about the flow of weapons into Eastern Europe. I mean, in Central America in the 80s, you know, the U.S. government was piling weapons into there to fund the Contras to fight the Sandinistas, and it appears to me that that you know that may be the long-term strategy for Eastern Europe, right? Just to unload as many weapons in there, let all the drug cartels and the human traffickers arm themselves up, and you know, even if this war in Ukraine ends, we're still going to have a huge criminal element, terrorist element that'll be doing stuff, and that whole region will be wrought with instability for a long time, and Russia will have that on its borders and have to deal with it. Uh, it's it's really awful what they're doing right now. I mean, you don't bring peace to an area by unloading huge amounts of weapons into an area, especially when there's a lot of corruption. And and the corruption is and the other story that relates to this one, it conceptually to me, is the recent Amnesty International report. Now, Amnesty International is clearly part of a liberal establishment. Agreed, Amnesty International for years is not an objective source. It tends to show up in anti-Russian stuff and tends to show up always taking the liberal establishment line. But when they came out with a report that not only criticized Russia, but pointed out Ukraine was committing war crimes, Zelensky freaked out on MC International and called them terrorists, basically. Do you see that as another example of Zelensky's attitude towards the truth, Caleb? Of course. And it shows that, like, they've got the Ukraine veto, just like that story that CBS did that now has been taken down from the website. It's like, it's like if, if something you say is deemed to be not following the Ukraine script, even if it's true, uh, you know, there, there seems to be this, this force that can get it removed. Uh, that's kind of operating in the shadows now. And, and it's kind of like the Uhuru organization, this black revolutionary group that was supporting Russia, that had been very vocal about Russia, Russia and, and their right to you know, defend themselves and, and intervene and protect the Russian-speaking people of the eastern regions and such. And they've been targeted now with, with these FBI raids. Uh, you know, and I mean, it's, it's really horrendous what's going on. And it's just like anybody who speaks off script when it comes to, uh, comes to the Ukraine stuff, uh, you know, they either get silenced or they get removed or something. You know, even Shinzo Abe, you know, a lot of people are asking questions about that Shinzo Abe thing, right? He was talking off script about Ukraine, right? He was, he's a conservative and he's, he's certainly anti-China, but he was saying, why are we all fired up about Russia and Ukraine and all of that? And, you know, that was pretty, pretty bizarre. I mean, that guy got two shots in. He had a homemade gun. He got not just one shot out of it, but two. Made the gun himself and, and, and shot the, the former prime minister of Japan. That was, a lot of people are asking questions about that, and that fits with the CBS. A lot of questions about that. Good, good question, Caleb. And we're out of time, unfortunately. Fantastic conversation, as usual. The great Caleb Maupin. Let me urge you again, go to YouTube and search for Caleb Maupin's name and sign up, subscribe to his channel, and hit that notification bell so you get notified when he does videos. Caleb Maupin, thanks so much for preparing on the backstory. Let's take a short break. And we'll be back with more on The Backstory. And we're live from the Empire of Lies, an oasis of free speech, open debate, 
and actual intellectual diversity. This is the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is the backstory. And when I say we bring you better conversations, here's what we do. Rod from Philly, our producer, does a great job of booking guests who are smart and in command of material. And so we get smart people on, and then we discuss things with them and get their view on things and disagree where we disagree. But we always disagree civilly, or at least most of the time we try. Anyway, that's the goal. A a great conversation, I think, Rod, with Caleb Mumpin. And Caleb Mumpin debating whether populism needs to be socialist would be great, maybe with Mark Frost. You like the idea of that, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'll definitely uh, I'll send that message to uh, Mark and see what he thinks about it. I think he would definitely agree with that. And I think it would be good because, again, they're both guests of the show all the time, but they're really smart guys. And smart guys disagreeing on an issue is good because it gets the best argument made on both sides. And then you get to figure out what you think. So great appearance by Caleb and Thanks to him again. And follow him on his YouTube channel. Coming up this hour, John Kiriakou, former co-host of the show, former CIA official and turned whistleblower. John Kiriakou will be talking about the situation with the FBI being, in my opinion, politicized and out of control. I agree with that. But he posted an article by his friend, the libertarian attorney, Bruce Fine. And we'll talk about that as well. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320, on the backstory. Now, Rod, it's disease time. So one of the reasons I felt like, so we talked about Salman Rushdie in the first hour, but also, did you see what disease is back in in the news again? I, I feel like I'm a newsman from the 50s. Let's talk about polio. Did you see the, the cases of polio and the, they found the polio virus and they didn't say where. They found the polio virus around New York City. Did you see that report today, Rod? Uh, yeah, Lee, I saw that they found polio in the water, that they've been testing the water and they've been finding uh, traces of polio in the water. And that and that, that it's, uh, it's coming back, it's making its way back. Anything, well, one of the good sides to polio in the water in New York is that it could help take care of the rats. So that's the positive side. I, I'm Pollyannish. I try to look on the bright side, but polio killing the rats could be an advantage. But I actually, the the other thing in our disease portion of the show, what I'm I'm going to tell you a conspiracy theory about the CDC. But did you see the Center for Disease Control, the CDC? I can't even say what they did. They recently said a lot of things we've been saying for a while. Ignore them. Like, remember they were saying about COVID-19, stay six feet from people. Remember that, Rod? They were telling you to urge social distancing. Remember that was the rule? Yeah, that's what they were saying. 
now, am I correct? The CDC is now saying social distancing. Uh, never mind. Is is that essentially the the new CDC edict? Yeah, pretty much, Lee. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for a while, and, and you know, I'm still I'm still staying in the same place I did March 2020, and uh, you know, uh, a, a few, a lot of, uh, let me say, a number of doctors were upset with. Uh, Dr. Fauci, when uh, they were talking about the vaccine and how it's affecting women's menstrual cycles, and he was saying, "Well, yeah, it happens to some women," and uh, the, these uh, these doctors were upset with him and like, "No, it's happening to a lot of women, and we're not, and it's not being discussed." So I think the CDC is just trying to change their narrative and just like, you know what, uh, forget all this, and they're trying to just, you know, leave the blame to somebody else or some, or uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they start blaming China as well. And I gotta say, if you're Dr. Fauci. I know you're you're trying to make a joke and trying to be funny, but don't say you made the COVID virus in your kitchen because you saw Fauci made a joke saying that, but he said it and you know someone's going to take that answer and cut it. So it seems like it was something serious Fauci said, right? Right, Rod? Yeah, yeah. We don't have to edit clips of him, you know, and try to, uh, you know, match this or just, you know, shorten what he said, what he said. I mean, he said a lot of stuff. He's contradicted himself at at least a thousand times, Lee. Um, maybe I'm being conservative on that. So uh, mask, no mask, gloves, no gloves. The vaccine's uh, safe and effective. Uh, there's there's going to be adverse effects. There's not going to be adverse effects. Um, the guy hasn't been able to give you one clear statement and stand by it. And also, and I hope there's no one in my audience, because, Rod, you know I love our audience, so I don't want to yell at them, but I hope there's no one in our audience. But if you're a person who occasionally decides this person's in the news, let me Photoshop a meme about them. Get help. Stop. Get away from the computer. Don't do that. Did you see the meme? I'll call it a fake photo where someone got a picture of Judge Reinhardt, the guy who issued the raid warrant against Mar-a-Lago and put him in an image with Ghislaine Maxwell. Did you see that, Rod? Uh, no, I did see a picture of him. It looked like he was at the beach or at a vacation house, and he was holding up uh, like a magazine or something. I can't remember. He's, not, and not he's just... got some Oreos, right? Yeah, 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 that, that picture. So I think there's a real picture of Judge Reinhardt on a social media or something with with – uh, Oreos, and they look like not to make people hungry, but they look like the white Oreos too, which are especially good. Uh, but he posted that picture, and then someone took that picture of Reinhardt and took a picture of Ghislaine Maxwell rubbing Jeffrey Epstein's feet and replaced Epstein with Reinhardt. And now people are spreading that around the internet. And some people see and they hear that Reinhardt had some involvement with the, with the Epstein case. So they see a picture of her, and it was a pretty good Photoshop job. They see a picture of Reinhardt with Maxwell, and they go, well, I'll spread that. I, I was skeptical as soon as I saw the picture. I said, that's too good to be true. Now it turns out it's a meme. But don't do that sort of thing. Why do you add to a confusing situation? Are you with me, Rod, 
do you get irritated when people do just because you have Photoshop doesn't mean you should use it. I don't know why people want to confuse the situation by making a picture like that. Do you agree with my frustration, Rod? Oh, yeah, especially in this situation. Uh, we have uh, Ghislaine at the U.N., I think two or three different times. Uh, that's not Photoshop, Lee. I know you've seen it. And um, so, it, you know, we don't need a Photoshop that we need to ask questions of why was this woman who's guilty of sex trafficking all over the globe uh, at the U.N., you know, when this is supposed to be uh, an organization about humanity and all, all the things they espouse. And I don't even understand where the Photoshopper, who he thinks that he's helping by putting a picture of the, them two together, all that's going to happen is some people who are busy and can't research where a picture comes from are going to spread it as though it were true and make people who are opposed to Judge Reinhardt look dumb. Do you agree with me, Rod? When you spread a picture like that that's not true, you make other people who correctly don't trust the government look dumb and gullible. Right, Rod? Yeah, because we have we could have somebody credible like a, a congressman say, uh, you know, I've seen this picture of the judge with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the news is all the media is going to pounce on them. Like, this, uh, you know, this congressman or this person uh, espoused about a fake uh, photo. Well, well, what happened was Brian Kilmeade from Fox News. Kilmeade broadcast that picture. Kilmeade put that picture on the air. Now, that's not doing your job. The reason you, your, your job, you get paid, Kilmeade, I assume insurance benefits too, right? Kilmeade, you get paid to be better at doing the news than the average person. This is your job. This is what they pay you for your time to do. So therefore, before you go putting a picture up, I can understand if someone who, who doesn't do this for a living, if you, you're a plumber or something like that, and you believe a picture and you repost it, bad move, but it's not your job. But kill me, job is, and now people are calling for him to be fired. I'm not in favor of him being fired, but, and I blame the person who made the picture, but that was dumb of Kilmeade. He should have said, gee, is this picture too good to be true? And perhaps Ghislaine Maxwell rubbing his feet while he's holding a box of Oreos. Just as I describe it, Rod, does that sound too good to be true? Yeah, and he's not, I don't think he's her type, or yeah, I don't think she would be interested in in, uh, in Reinhardt. And uh, just to let you know, we have uh, three callers. Uh, first would be Lynn, Al Killer, and then Tarif. Okay, who's the first one, Lynn? Lynn from North Carolina. Okay, let's go to that one. Thanks, Rod. And and by the way, I'm not sure Ghislaine Maxwell has a type. I don't think she's that picky. So if you were dissing Judge Reinhardt's looks and saying he's not Ghislaine Maxwell's type, well, he's not a teenage girl. So that puts him out of that category right there. But Lynn in North Carolina, 202-521-1320, what's on your mind? And forgive my voice. My throat went off suddenly. Go ahead, Lynn. I don't know if I can articulate my thoughts, but um, about what Caleb said about government health insurance, I remember during COVID, Javier Salazar, I think he's the head of HHS, he was on 
MSNBC or news. And he said, they were asking him about the mandates. And he said, yeah, we have the right because we paid for all the COVID stuff so we can tell you to do anything. And I think about, you know, at least I could go to my doctor and he would see me without having a COVID vaccine or maybe if I wanted a different kind of treatment. They were so controlling during COVID. I can't believe that people still want the government to be your only source you know, to pay for your health care. And that way, that's the only source after what we saw them do with COVID. I just, I just don't understand why people still advocate for that. I mean, I know it's expensive and it would be nice for it to be free, but do you want them? They were so wrong about everything. And what if they were the only choice because it was all taken over by the government? Like, you would have no choice into doing every monkeypox vaccine or doing this to be able to get you know, transplants or any other health care, or maybe they would make you only eat so many calories a day because, you know, it's unhealthy to be fat. I don't know what they would do. It's very controlling. Lynn, I'm, I'm sympathetic with you, what you're saying, but let me point out that under our non-socialized system, we had all that stuff during the pandemic. We had people being told. My doctor who didn't do that, what if he wasn't allowed to be my doctor because there was no he wasn't there. He was all, it's all government. And I agree with that. And I, I think very few people actually, they, they fall into, see, here's the problem I have with the debate. The people on the right tend to criticize socialized medicine. And I think there's room for actually two systems. And actually we have some sort of hybrid now. Right now we have a system where if you're poor, and you go to the emergency room, let's say, they don't kick you out because you're poor. In fact, we don't have people dying because of no medical care. They provide free medical care. And we already have that system. And But I'm in favor of expanding it somewhat where people aren't, what, what I'm saying is some there's such a thing as medical emergencies. And in a medical emergency, I think, that's where the free stuff should kick in. But if you just want, for instance, cosmetic surgery, a boob job or something, I don't think the government should pay for everything everyone wants. And so that would be another good bait to have sometime with Caleb. But great call, Lynn. 202-521-1320. Now it's time for the killer of owls. Go ahead, owl killer. What's on your mind at 202 521 1320. Well, I, I think Lynn is, she's, COVID shows the horror of government control. And yeah, you're right. It, it wasn't, it, you did have private um, entities saying it, but again, it's because they were getting, they're in, they were in bed with the government. And that, that's the problem with this, uh, with, with the fascism that we have in this country. At the same time, people should not be, they, they shouldn't lose their house because they can't pay medical bills. So there, there has to be some type of, that we, we have we have to have some type of normality in, in the system where people don't have don't have to fear going to the doctor. And I, I think what it is, if we stopped allowing, if we didn't have a fascist medical system and you, you didn't have the merger of state and corporate powers, I, I think the prices would drop. I don't think government could do anything well. To go, talk about Brian Kilmeade, Brian Kilmeade is a prostitute. He's paid to put out. I don't think he's had an original thought in probably 20 years. So he's he's. Uh, they're all Ron Burgundy. They they're just they're they're going to read what's put on the screen, with the exception of uh, with the exception of a few. Let me interrupt for one second. Since you mentioned Al Keller, Ron Burgundy, 
Now, something's going on with Chris Wallace. Rod, did you see, do you know what's going on with Chris Wallace now? Uh, no, I haven't even seen him. I haven't seen him in a while. I couldn't make it out. It was on Fox before I came on the show. But apparently something, have you heard any Owl Killer about Chris Wallace? No, I haven't, but I saw they were, they were, I think they picked a female to replace him permanently on Sunday. That's the last I heard about him. Because remember the last time we heard about Chris Wallace, he was at Fox for many years. Then he hosted debates for the de Democrats, uh, it seems. And then he was on CNN Plus. And I will say that Chris Wallace was a large part of CNN Plus's success. Would you agree with that, Al Killer? Oh yeah, it's it's great success. It's it's uh, it, it's it's up there with um, all of uh, I I really can't think of a success um, that that really tops CNN Plus. I think uh, Carly Lake probably had the best response to the CNN uh, reporter when she said, "Yeah, we'll do the interview as well, but we got to do it on CNN Plus." I think that that actually I don't I don't like her one way or the other. I think that's what put me over. Like, okay, I'm on her side because. That response was. And let, let me ask Rod, is this a fair analogy? I'm going to say three letters. XFL. Yes. Is that a fair fair analogy, Rod? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or Vince McMahon's uh, Bodybuilding Federation. I remember that. Anything else, I'll kill her? Yeah. So what I, I wanted to say, I'm going to try to make it as quick as I can. So I, I've really been thinking um, the last two days about the raid on President Trump. And I actually think that the, the even from January 6th, I think they've been trying to set up a made on square situation in the United States so they can justify they can they can justify the response because the way that they've treated the January 6th protesters is beyond you know a anybody that is for criminal justice reform or anything you could you don't have people in solitary confinement without charging them and I want to say something with. I think it was James Madison that said that the Constitution is only for a moral and religious people. And I think we really see that now when you have um, the FBI um, agents that got off during the Durham investigation, and then you have somebody like a Roger Stone and Paul Manafort get convicted. I, it's, setting, I, it's setting up a very scary situation in the country because people can't People are not going to take that. If they have nothing to lose, uh, somebody with nothing to lose is a very dangerous, is a, are very dangerous individuals. And I don't think the left is really thinking this through. And I pray, I pray it doesn't get there. But if it's showing that people are on the sides of the criminal where like people cheer when somebody like OJ gets off on something, but they will deliberately let somebody obviously guilty in Washington, D.C. get away just because he's on the opposite team. We're no longer a moral people. And it, bad things happen when countries uh, lose morality. And the scary thing is, is that somebody comes that says they're going to put stuff back to normal. And you don't want to be on the losing side of that. And I, I don't think the left really thinks that through. I, I, don't think, I, I don't think they have a rational perspective of what happens when somebody on the opposite side of you uses your tactics. And I, I think that we're, we're at the precipice of that in this country, and I really don't want to see it happen. Now, so I'll, I'll ask you one thing, then, then we'll uh, let you go out, Color. Who's online, by the way? Tarif. Tarif? Okay, we'll get to Tarif for mm -hmm. one second. 
Let me ask you, Alcala, if you're surprised by this. Kettle Maupin was on the show before. RT correspondent and proud socialist organizer. Caleb, I believe I'm qu- quoting him right. He said the other night on his radio show that he had, in er, earlier in his life, because he's a socialist, he was an atheist. But he's become a Christian over time, and he's still a socialist. Are you surprised at all that Caleb Maupin became a Christian, just in general? Um, that's the question, because I'm not, actually. So I don't think you could look at the, the situation in the world and not come to Christ. Uh, I just, I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I don't think, but it, it just if I was being stereotypical and hearing that he was a socialist, I would say, yeah, that's probably abnormal. But, you know, that's just me being prejudiced, I guess, in a sense. Yeah, I think it's a matter of you get older. And obviously, you get older, your friends die, you, you have, you're, you're going to die, and you become more aware of that. And people start thinking about their life and the afterlife. And so yeah. people say there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, there's probably few atheists in old age homes. I've not done a test of that, but I believe it's probably true. And I think that's it to some extent. But great call, Owl Killer. Thanks for being on the show. Now, 202-521-1320. Tarif, what is on your mind? we got Brave online after this. Oh, y'all. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go go ahead, Tarif, because we got Brave online. Go ahead. All right. Two comments. First, I'd like to say free drilling signs. China, you know, as you know, is upset, and then they go on to Saudi Arabia next week to discuss certain topics, maybe to replace the um, petrodollar with the yuan or some other currencies, and also don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if China start working with Venezuela, Cuba, to put troops down. That will make the uh, U.S. upset about that. My second comment: uh, Cash Patel, that's the working Trump's administration, was saying that the documents Trump's have Trump have is is unclassified. You know, it was declassified, you know, so Trump, you know, shouldn't really get in trouble unless they, you know, plant something on him or try to set him up or something, trying to find a loophole to get him. Yeah, that's my thoughts for the day. Thank you all for taking my call. Well, great call, Tarif. And who would think that the FBI would ever plant material on him? Oh, that's right. Everyone listening to the show. So good point and great call as usual. 202-521-1320, Brave in Atlanta. Finish out the calls on the week on the backstory. You're the final call of the week. Go ahead, Brave. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. How's it going, man? I um, I was calling, I wanted to call in response to your earlier caller um, about the Medicare for All. And uh, in, in, in contrast to what we saw happen with the uh, vaccine mandates, um, I, I kind of I went back and forth with that myself. Because I personally am a um, a proponent for the Medicare for all. I think that Medicare Medicaid for all, because um, and and that whole uh, that whole um, uh, idea that everyone should should have healthcare, have not just access to healthcare, but actual healthcare, right? But when we did go through the whole uh, vaccine mandates and all of that stuff, I really did second guess it because I was like, well, if they had if they had um, if they had control over our our um, our medical our medical care and things of that nature, then they could impose this, right? Brave. Let me ask you a question, just broadly, because it, it, it's an interesting topic. And let me try this approach. Brave, 
Now, I'm asking a very specific question. Do you believe in the concept of benevolent dictators? Do you think that you have somebody, if you gave them complete authority over everyone's lives, who would do a good job of that? Do you believe in benevolent dictators? Uh, no, I don't. And no, I don't. And and that, that so that, and that, and that's my concern. And they showed themselves. They 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 literally showed themselves with because I mean in the beginning, if you remember of the of the um, of the pandemic, they were like, oh well, we can't do a, a vaccine mandate. That's that's um, that's not constitutional. That's, that's unconstitutional, right? And then it turned right around. Even after having said that and did it or tried to do it, right? I still, I still believe that we should have Medicare for all, but not because um, I want to see that power in the hands of the government. Not, not, not because I feel like the government can do it. So right or anything like that. It's for the, it's for the simple fact that it's not free. We do pay for it. They are We're paying for all of this stuff they're doing, right? And and so my th- my thought is that if if we're going to have taxation, we should get something for our money. We should get something for all the crap they put us through, right? And and so I know when people have the conversation of Medicare for all and and uh, forgiving student debt and all these things, they think in terms of right and left and you know socialism and capitalism and all of that stuff. I personally, as an independent, I, I don't subscribe to either to either of those perspectives. I believe I believe that a good idea is a good idea, a bad idea is a bad idea. And a- Let me say this out, uh, brave. I agree with you, and this is the point, and it's why I always hesitate on the healthcare debate. Because I think the best way to discuss it is with specific actual cases. So let me bring up something. What do we do in the case of a three-year-old who gets cancer and his parents are working class people? So you have a kid and at age three, he wasn't a two-back-a-day smoker, okay? You know, he didn't do anything. He didn't pursue a, a a cancer lifestyle. Does that make sense, Brave? But if you have a three-year-old who gets cancer and he's got working-class parents, what should happen in that case? And I think even hardcore libertarians, they'll say private charity. They won't say, well, let him die. No one says, let the three-year-old die or screw the parents if they go bankrupt too bad, you lost the lottery of life. No one says that. So we have things, charity, for instance. Now, people say, should their tax dollars go to someone who basically the three-year-old got cancer? And I don't think most people would have a problem with some of their, can- uh, some of their tax money going to that family. But there's no answer. And the answer of private charity that libertarians give isn't really a good answer because what if no one voluntarily gives? So, Brave, what's your answer? What do you think should happen with a three-year-old who has cancer? And do you think that's the kind of question that flummoxes people in the healthcare debate? Brave? I used to speak that specifically because we have a family member who, uh, or we had a family member who passed away from cancer um, who had an opportunity to, to uh, be able to fight the cancer with the benefit of a prescription that was so expensive, like like a few thousand dollars a month for for these pills, 
right? And there was no way she could afford it. And the insurance would not cover it. So I, I know that. And so she, in the end, she, she chose to, uh, she fought about as long as she could, couldn't fight it anymore, couldn't afford it anymore, and then chose a quality of life and just basically was and basically died. So to that specific question, yes, the, we should be provided that care when it, in a matter like that. And I think that all sides, there should be no sides when it comes to something like that, right? Especially since this government, these jerks, those dirtbags, they are spending our money. With 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 like with with embevel like no with no oversight like these guys are sending billions of dollars to another country for under false pretenses to go back into their pockets with no oversight vote down oversight I think that if people no matter what side first of all I think if people stop playing the the, the football I'm on this side you're on that side game we can get past it we can get some things done right and hold people accountable one but two I think that no matter what side you are on. We all have pockets that money comes out of or, or we want money to go in. You know what I mean? And I think if you look at it in those terms and you say, okay, because this is, this is a capitalist, this is a capitalist country, right? So I think we all understand the idea of value for value. If I, if you are taking my money, I should get, especially if you're taking my money and can put me in jail if I don't give it to you, then I should get something back for it. Not like construction projects on the street that last for six years and you still got potholes. No, there should not be anyone. I ain't talking about like, you know, boob jobs and, and uh, gender reassignment. I'm saying you're dealing with cancer. You're dealing with um, things of that nature. You got a broken arm. and We got to go because it's that time. And we got to get, get to John Kiriakou. But great call. And I'll put it like this. I'll cap it with this. Anyone who's owned a pet, and you get to that point as pets get older, where one day you go to the vet and the kids don't say the cat again. You, you know what I'm saying? There's a time you go to the vet and they say, well, we can fix Fido or Fifi or whoever. I assume that's your pet's name, not your kids. But you you bring your pet to the vet and they say, well, Fifi's 13 years old and we can keep her overnight and keep her out of some pain. But basically, she's at the end of her life. And so if you give me $3,000, I can keep her awake through the weekend. And everybody's experienced that. And that's the point when it becomes a hard question, it was easy when you're thinking about it in theory. Of course, I love my pet. Of course, I spend money, whatever it costs. But when they're actually asking you, give me the check for 3000 now, or we put the cat in the small room that they don't come out of. When that's actually a question on the table, people start thinking about it very differently. So let's go to a short break. We'll come back and talk to John Kiriakou and give you stuff to think about over the weekend over the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. That's coming up on The Backstory. backstory the last half hour of the week a lot of great shows this week Rod. thanks again for your work great job putting together a show joining us now the former co-host of this show former cia official and whistleblower john kiriaku hey john how you doing buddy hey lee doing well thanks how are you man 
Good. I want to talk to you at the end of the week because, first off, you know me. You were the co-host of the show for years, uh, for a long time, months anyway. Uh, you know I like to have fun at the end of the week and have a sort of wrap-up guest. And the story this week, obviously, it broke Monday night, was the raid on Mar-a-Lago and was a lot of people criticizing the FBI. And I thought to myself, who would be fun to have on at the end of the week talking about that? And I said, oh, I know who doesn't like the FBI, John Kiriakou. <laughs> well, I think I'm probably but, the only one of your guests who has had the FBI raid his house twice. Right? I've got to be. You, you, you are. And also, a lot of people have an opinion. You know, I was thinking this about myself. A lot of people have an opinion about C. Bannon, but I know C. Bannon, and that's different because everybody at a diner, everybody on the bus has an opinion about him. And the same way, everyone at the diner or on the bus has an opinion about FBI agent Peter Strzok. Right. How many of them have been arrested by Peter Strzok? Yes. Something for which I'll never forgive him. Right. And John, you've been arrested by Peter Strzok, right? <laughs> I sure have. Yeah, the, uh, the, a reporter from the Washington Post called me once and said, uh, hey, I wanted to get a comment from you about Peter Strzok being fired by the uh, FBI. And I said, OK, I said, I'll, I'll give you a comment, but I don't know why you're calling me. I, I don't know anything more than what I've read in the in the papers. And he said, oh, no, you were arrested by Peter Strzok. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, I filed a Freedom of Information Act request and you were arrested by Peter Strzok. I said, is that who that was? And so I said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a quote. All right. Revenge is best Suddenly, cold. And you remember the way he treated you, right? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I walked out of the room and he said to these two other FBI agents, tell me he implicated himself. And one of them said, mm, not really. He didn't. And uh, the other one said, can we arrest him? And he said, no, don't arrest him. And so they waited until that was a Thursday. They waited until Monday to arrest me. Yeah, he was a jerk about it. And the tricky thing about a lot of these topics, the reason people get down, in my opinion, uh, into incorrect political conclusions is they, I, I, I understand this human motivation. They try to oversimplify things. If you think you know Peter Strzok, you know one tiny slice of Peter Strzok. And most people know one thing about him. He doesn't like Trump. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's what they exactly know about right. him. Yep. So what they might not know is, I'm making this up, but is he a devoted cricket fan? Right. You know, the, the English, it's sort of a sport. But if he was a cricket fan... And that's all I knew about him. That doesn't tell me anything about him, really. It just tells no. you one fact about the person. Right. So the fact that he's right. anti-Trump is not sufficient. But the fact that, how was he a jerk to you, John? Because this is more telling to me than that he doesn't like Trump. Well, you I, know, it was, it was the way... A, yeah, one, one, one sec, John. Uh, here's an analogy. Someone once said to me, they determine on the first date, whether they like the person. And they do it whether the person they're at a restaurant with treats waiters. 
if they are mean to waiters and waitresses, they say, then they're going to eventually be mean to me. Have you heard that before, John? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. And you know, just as an aside, Lee, uh, when I was stationed in Bahrain, I I was there with the American Embassy from 1994 to 96. um, I, I had a very close friendship with the crown prince. We went to college together, so we knew each other already. And every time he came to the ambassador's residence for a dinner, at the end of the evening, he would go into the kitchen and he would thank the cook and the waiters. And he would always do it very, very nicely. He would say, gentlemen, thank you for everything. It was wonderful. And these guys would practically burst into tears because the crown prince of the country just thank these guys who are invisible in that society for uh, for serving him dinner. And that always struck me as a as an uh, as a, a very a very sweet thing to do. It's not something that he had to do. He owns the country, for heaven's sake. But it was something that he did every single time. And really, that's the kind of person he was. So I think that that what you've heard is is correct. Um, I think we can judge people by the way they people who serve us, whose job it is to serve us. Yes. And that's why and and you're, of course, a veteran of D.C. You live here, what, 40 years in D.C. this month? I hear I mean there because I'm I'm in South Dakota. I'm not in (laughs) D.C. But uh, and have you met Barack Obama? Uh, Once when he was still the senator. Okay, so I met him once in California when he was on the Leno show and was coming out. And my one interaction with Obama, I had heard, I've never met Clinton, but what I've heard is, have you met him? Oh, yeah, I've got a great Clinton story. Okay, I've heard if you meet Clinton, he looks you right in the eye and you feel like you're the only person in the room. And I experienced that. I experienced that with Obama in the hallway at NBC. I just walked up to him and said, I'm reading your book and looked me right in the eye. Well, how'd you like it? And he cared. Yeah. He actually wanted yeah. to know my opinion of the book. It, it and I met other politicians. Right. And I, I met other politicians and I'll pick on Bill Richardson, former governor of New Mexico. I met Bill Richardson. He didn't look you in the eye. It was just, he was shaking your hand and looking past you. Does yeah. that make sense? Looking, to, And so uh, Ronald, what's your Ronald Reagan did that to me once. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's your experience with the people I mentioned? Because I'm sure you have great stories, John. Oh, I listen. When Bill Clinton came to, uh, to Athens uh, in 1999, I was working at the American embassy there. And when there's a presidential visit, it's so busy. There's so much work that everybody in the embassy has to pitch in and do something. So my assignment was to be the note taker in Clinton's meeting with the prime minister. So it was, it was all heavy hitters. It was Clinton, um, Albright. She was secretary of state. It was Sandy Berger, who was the national security advisor, uh, the ambassador, Nick Burns and me, we were the five Americans. And for the Greeks, it was, the prime minister, the defense minister, the foreign minister, and their note taker. So there were nine people in the room. And the funny thing is, 
the Greeks, the Greeks all come in and the Greek note taker and I are standing. Everybody else is sitting. And Clinton goes around the room. Oh, Mr. Prime Minister, it's so nice to meet you. And Mr. Foreign Minister, and Mr. Defense Minister. We had this big spread of food and fruits and drinks and all kinds of stuff. And he goes around the room and then he comes to me and he says to me, may I offer you something to drink like that? And I said, oh, no, thank you, Mr. President. I'm fine. And he goes, oh, are, are you with me? And I said, yes, sir, I'm with you. And he goes, oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were Greek. And I said, well, I, I kind of am, but, but I'm with you. And um, he got a little chuckle. Then at the end of it, the Greeks all leave. And then Clinton and Berger walk into the hall. Uh, and then Albright and Burns walk into the hall. This is on the top floor of the Intercontinental Hotel. And then I follow them out in the hall. So they're, they're talking in two groups of two. And then Berger breaks off from Clinton and goes over to the other group just as the elevator door opens at the end of the hall and Hillary and Chelsea come out. And Hillary has this puss on her face. And she walks right up to Clinton. And, and Lee, I'm standing not three feet away from Clinton against the wall. Cause you know, my job is to speak when I'm spoken to and take the notes. So she walks up and she doesn't say anything. And one thing about Clinton is he hates silence. He, he feels like he has to fill the void when there's silence. So he says, boy, we sure had a good time at the Parthenon this morning. Didn't we Hill? And she just stares at him like with this death glare. So he repeats himself and he says, we sure had a good time at the Parthenon this morning, didn't we, Hill? And she says to him, Jesus Christ, Bill, it rained all day. I'll be in the room. And she pushes past me to go to their room with Chelsea in tow. And I'm looking at him and he looks at me. And like you said, straight in the eye. And he says, let's get the hell out of here. And he walks to the elevator I got in, the Secret Service got in, a couple of other people. We went down to the basement and he gave this speech to the American Business Women's Association where people were on their feet and screaming. You would never know that he had just had this encounter with his wife. But I remember looking at the guy, like right in his eyes and thinking, you poor, poor man, you have to lay next to that every night. And he never let it affect him. It was and, it was and just crazy. That's a great that it was one of the best stories. How dare you make me feel sympathy for Bill Clinton, John? <laughs> I know, right? I'll tell you another quick one. Um, I'm friendly with the president of Rutgers University. He's a Greek American, former U.S. ambassador to uh, to Luxembourg, and he told me this incredible story. He was the head of fundraising for the for the southeastern United States for Bill Clinton. And um, he said when the Monica Lewinsky story broke, all the finance people got together with James Carville and uh, George Stephanopoulos and a handful of other Clinton campaign people. And they said, look, Clinton's got to resign. He's going to be impeached. He's got to resign for the good of the party. Gore should become president. Let's do a meeting with with Clinton. We've got to all talk to him with one voice. So they rented this room at the uh, Willard Hotel in Washington, which is just a block from the White House. And they were all trying to sort of get their get their courage up. Like, we got to stand together. He's got to resign. 
And they, he said, Clinton came in, starts crying, probably fake, but starts crying, saying how disappointed he was in himself, that he had let you, I've let you down, friends, you know how he used to do. And then he said, this goes on for 45 seconds, 60 seconds, and then somebody shouts, we love you, Bill. And he shouts back, I love you too. Next thing you know, they're like chanting, you know, Clinton, Clinton. He just had that way about him. <laughs> yeah. No, see, see, it's amazing. Some of these people in the news who I've covered in the news, like Anthony Weiner, I did a lot of work on that story. Some of these people, John Edwards, I wrote about his affair with Real Hunter. Some of these people, I wish to God, I wish to God, I I could go into some a cabin or someplace with with Anthony Weiner for the weekend, and we allow ourselves to be searched, so no recorders, no cameras, but just we drop acid, and I have some questions for Anthony Weiner. I really do, and I want to know the truth that's beyond the news. So be honest. What's up with Huma? Like, you know, start there. Well, she's dating some Hollywood star now, right? I mean, he, if you're Anthony Weiner, you've got to be kicking yourself right now, right? I mean, you've got to be. Like, could you possibly screw your life up any more than, than what you have? Not only were, were you a member of Congress, but they were talking about you being the youngest ever mayor of New York. And now you're a registered pedophile. Like, does it get any worse than that? And a, a lot, again, a lot of these people get in trouble. It's ego. Uh, you know, I interviewed yeah. Sydney, Sydney Letters, who was involved with Wiener. And she told me that Anthony Wiener, his foreplay is he said to her in, in bed once, What's one of my favorite speeches? What's your favorite speech of mine? Are you kidding me? He, no, seriously. Oh, boy. And does that say everything about Anthony Weiner? Oh, yeah. About, yeah. You know, that's, that's it right there. Yeah. Tell me how fabulous right I am. There. That'll get me really hot. Start talking about how great I am. But uh, he's a very interesting person to me. Like Clinton, desperate for people like him. I think, you know, yes. that you. So let's talk about what happened earlier in the week. And right. I was setting up for this. Say what you think the FBI and Trump did right and wrong. Try to provide a balanced view of these two people you criticize, John Kiriakou. Talk about the Mar-a-Lago raid. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I think the FBI did right, and that was to be very, very specific in the um, in the search warrant. Uh, you know, so many times, the, the, and this happens literally every day across America, uh, cops will throw together a search warrant. They go to a judge. It's all pro forma. The judge doesn't even read the affidavit. He just signs off on it. It appears that that wasn't the case in this search warrant. They were very deliberate. They went to the judge and explained exactly what it was that they that they expected to find 
were they to get the uh, the search warrant. So they did that right. What they did wrong, in my view, is what they tend to do wrong a lot of the time, and that is to to go whole hog. You know, in my own case, the the second time they raided my house, um, they said they were looking for weapons, right? Somebody to whom I used to be very close for many years uh, called and said that uh, I was hoarding weapons, right? Uh, and this was this was to get the upper hand in a child custody case. So they raided my house, and they're looking specifically for weapons. They didn't have to dump all my potted plants out on the floor, all the dirt on the floor claiming to be looking for weapons in the potting soil. They didn't need to take a sledgehammer and smash a, a, a two-by-two-foot hole in my kitchen wall uh, looking for weapons, okay? I, I don't have weapons. I've never had we any weapons in this house, and, um, and I was never charged with any crime. Well, you know, we're hearing these reports now from the likes of Ivanka Trump and Melania Trump that they went through Melania's closet. They went through her clothes. Uh, they're not going to find any classified documents in her clothes. Whoever their rat was told them where the documents were. They were in the office um, at, uh, that, the, that, the, uh, that President Trump uses. There was no reason to go through her clothes. They did that just to humiliate her. So that's what they did wrong. Um, I think, you know, my, my opinion on what, Trump has done right and wrong, has changed today through the course of the day. It's easier, much easier, to say what he did wrong. Um, it's not unusual for people to take documents, um, classified documents, uh, for the purpose of um, perhaps using them while writing a memoir. Or, you know, just kind of as souvenirs of the time that that they were in office. It's, it's, it's wrong, but it's not at all unusual. And usually you get a slap on the hand. Um, John Deutsch, the former CIA director under Bill Clinton, uh, actually took a top secret laptop and was charged with, with a felony. He was able to bargain it down to a misdemeanor. Uh, Sandy Berger, the national security advisor, went to the National Archives to look at reports that he had written but what he did is when he thought nobody was looking, he folded them up and he put them in his underwear. And then he he hid them at a construction site so he could then retrieve them later. And he got caught. And he was investigated on multiple felony counts, bargained it down to a misdemeanor, paid his fine, and moved on. And by the way, uh, by the way, John, let me just point out that I bet Sandy Berger's underwear looks nothing like Melania Trump's. <laughs> I would... I would put money on that. Um, yes, go ahead. We, we know today that, that the Justice Department went to Mar-a-Lago in June with a subpoena asking him to return the documents because somebody ratted him out. Somebody in his circle ratted him out and told DOJ that these documents were there. What he should have done was to either return them or destroy them. I mean, destroying them would have been a crime too, but just to protect yourself. Um, and he didn't. He didn't do anything with them. They just continued to sit there. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is a more serious mistake we've learned this afternoon. Um, these documents apparently include things at the top secret level, 
the top secret SITK gamma level, which is signals intelligence, and apparently um, uh, special access uh, information. The special access is compartmented information. It's the highest level of classification that exists. Um, there are three different levels of violations of the Espionage Act, and they call for um, zero, five, and ten years in prison. Well, if we're to believe what the Justice Department is telling us today, these are ten-year violations, the, the most serious violations for documents. And so far, we, we know that there are what, what the Justice Department is calling um, 11, uh, 11 sets. I don't know what that means, a set of classified information. So we're talking about the possibility of as many as 11 charges under the Espionage Act. You know, a couple of days ago, I was saying, all right, they're, they're going to they're gonna talk to him about returning the documents. They'll give him a slap on the hand and say, you know, don't do this again. But this today, this seems far more serious than it was a day or two ago, if what we're hearing is true. And again, you know, I wasn't worried about this because of what happened in Donald Trump. If that had been the only case... I had seen the FBI acting more aggressively than they need to. With this guy Clark in Virginia, there are other people, Roger Stone, those are equally egregious examples. And this Absolutely. is- Do you agree with me, John? Absolutely. Yeah, the, what they did with those raids, the, pur the purpose was to humiliate. The purpose was to embarrass. It was no accident that CNN was at Roger Stone's house at six o'clock in the morning with this FBI tactical team. They do this to to humble you and humiliate you. John, we are out of time. Great appearance. Fantastic stories. The great John Kiriakou with us at the end of the week on the backstory. And thanks again to Caleb Mumpin. Look up his YouTube channel. We got another great week planned next week. And news events are happening. We bring you a front row seat to the worldwide revolutions. This is the backstory.